I think that it is important for one to really identify what are your actual core values? How do you want to show up in the world? Who are you trying to be? Because that helps you decide what opportunities you're going to say yes to. And then what opportunities that you're going to say no to. There were opportunities with consulting clients and other people that came up that I actually said, this is not a good fit. It was probably good money, but it wasn't a good fit for me. So having that guiding core values are really important. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new season of Start Right Here. We are the podcast that puts the spotlight on the career paths of BIPOC beauty professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives, as well as issues related to beauty and inclusion impacting us in the industry, as well as impacting consumers. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope that conversations on this show help fuel your path to success. Hello, everyone. I have a question for you. Is there a right school to go to or are there right schools to go to to pursue an interest in the beauty industry? And if you don't go to those schools, what do you do? This is what I want to talk to my guest about today, Corinne Davey, who is the Senior Manager Brand Marketing of Clinical and Lux Skincare at Sephora. Corinne blazed her own path into beauty, and we're going to talk about why she had to do that. And the other part about Corinne, well, there's two Corinne's today, me and Corinne Davey, uh, <laughs> is that she's also from Queens, just like me. So we both come from backgrounds where we didn't see people working in the professional corporate beauty field, but ended up in the industry anyway. So it is possible. And we're going to talk about how you do that. And I want to say welcome to Corinne. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. It's so nice to be here. Before we start talking about your career path, let's begin with some fun questions in our For the Love of Beauty section. What was the first beauty product you remember purchasing? Yeah, so growing up in my mother's hair salon, it's hard to remember because there was so much beauty around me. But I'll say the first beauty product that I purchased with my own hard-earned money was probably the classic Maybelline pink and green mascara, um, just trying to open up my eyes and make them more bright. Okay. What's the most recent beauty product you purchased? I get gifted so much to try from my brands that I work on. I'll talk about both. So from my portfolio, I recently tried the Shawnee Darden retinol reform, really getting more into using retinol on my own skin and concerns about anti-aging, that kind of thing. And then the last beauty product that I purchased was a Fenty Beauty Fly Pencil in Lady Lagoon. It's a beautiful like electric blue color for underlining. So I actually have been doing the trend of putting some mascara or excuse me, some liner right underneath my eyes. Okay. That's lovely. And that's fun. You said electric blue, so bright blue. Yes. <laughs> All right. Finally, what's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? I'm a big cleansing person and that's cleansing my skin, cleansing my hair. I really think that it can be transformative. So every night making sure that I remove all of my makeup and really cleanse my skin as well as cleansing my hair. I try to wash my hair, if not once a week, at least once every other week. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? 
Definitely a destination. I feel like beauty was definitely in my bones. I grew up in my mother's hair salon, and I knew that some way, somehow, I would find myself in this industry. I didn't know at the time what that would look like, but I'm really, really happy with where I am now. What was it like growing up in your mother's salon? Were you like the little helper? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was everything. I can tell you about the different phases. You know, first, I literally grew up in her salon, so I would play like tea party with her clients and people would be holding me and they would be entertaining me. When I got tall enough that people wouldn't ask questions, that's when my mother put me to work. (laughs) So (laughs) I was sweeping floors. That's how I started. Back in the day when you would get relaxers, I was basing scalps. If anybody knows what that is, I was doing shampoos when I finally got tall enough to reach the sink. And then eventually I did work with my mother for several years in her salon. Right. You have your cosmetology license, right? I do. It was something that I always wanted to get. So you did that just to have it or did you have like a fallback plan or what was your thought surrounding that? It's so interesting with this question. For me, I always knew that I would get my cosmetology license because my mother had it and it was something I always wanted to do. I can't explain it to you beyond that. I knew that I would definitely get it. I think it was just a question of when I would get it for me. So one of the things I had spoken to my mother about is potentially doing that before I went to college, to undergrad. And she was not for that because she didn't want me to go down that path that she had chosen without having the exposure to what an undergraduate degree could do for my career first. And so she was very adamant that I go to undergrad first. And then if I decided to get my cosmetology license after that, she would fully support me. And I'm grateful that she sort of took that stand. And that's what I ended up doing. I went to undergrad. And then when I was in my first full-time job out of college, I got my cosmetology license part-time. And to answer your question more directly, if I ever wanted to own a salon, or do anything with it. I wanted to have it just in case. And my mother always told me it's better to get it younger because that will be helpful. Right. And if you were going to open a salon, it's better to know how to do things so that you could see if people are doing things correctly. Let's talk about in-college internship opportunities and that kind of thing. What was it like to try to get an internship in beauty? It's interesting because I didn't come from the background, as you mentioned earlier, where I had family members or family friends that could really mentor me when it came to like a career in business, not even like a career in beauty business. So like I was starting not knowing anything and I just didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't even know that I should be getting an internship, as horrible as that sound nowadays. (laughs) I wasn't even sure that that's what I should have been doing at the time. And so... It's interesting. I didn't get my first internship in marketing until my senior year of college. The whole time I worked, I was a teller at a bank. I had my beauty that I did on the side as a side hustle, but I did not know or I wasn't prepared or set up for success in getting the right quote unquote internship. I'm really grateful I was able to get that internship. It was in food service marketing, but it was an internship and got me into the marketing industry. Right. I think that's important because I think internships are stressed more in colleges now, but the how-tos of them, I'm not sure that everyone knows. And on the flip side of it, if the internship is not paid, it's a challenge for a lot of people to take an internship that's full-time in the summertime when they need to make money. 
I completely agree and completely relate to that. I was working, you know what I mean? I had my side hustle in my beauty business and I worked as a teller and I was paying for my own living expenses and that kind of thing. I had a scholarship, thank goodness, so that covered my tuition, but I really was independent in a lot of ways and it wouldn't have been very feasible for me to take an unpaid internship. So the internship that I got my senior year was a paid internship and I was very grateful for it. That's good. What did you learn there that you're taking with you everywhere you go at that first internship? Oh, wow. Well, I had amazing people, amazing mentors, some that I speak to to this day that really poured a lot into me and developed me because I had the raw talent. I had the intellectual curiosity to be a good marketer, but having the refinement of people saying, oh, this is how it's actually applied in the real world. That was super, super helpful and super important for me in that first role. And I took that with me early into my career. It also gave me a drive. I saw the way that people had built their careers in that organization. And I felt like I had like a path, whereas before I didn't see a path of how success looked like in the business world, in marketing specifically. But I finally had people that I could look up to and people that I could look up to that were pouring into me. So that was super important. That is really important. And I love the fact that you're still in touch with people that you worked with. What was your first full-time job? First full-time job out of undergrad was working at that same company. So I was able to transition that internship into a full-time opportunity that I was very, very grateful for. So I started that right after I graduated. How do you think that people can make the most of an internship opportunity? Yes, stay in touch with people, but how do you parlay something like that, an internship into an actual job opportunity? I think that for me, what I found was really, really helpful is showing the aptitude of the next role in the current role. And what I mean by that is I was an intern, but I didn't resign myself to just get involved in the affairs of what an intern's responsibilities were. I noted what was a manager, assistant manager doing and what skill sets did I need to develop? What experiences could I actually get at that level while I was an intern? And I think me showing that initiative, showing that interest in the company, showing that intellectual curiosity really paid off in spades. And that's what converted it into a full-time opportunity. Okay. That's really smart. Now, why marketing? What interested you about that category? Yeah. I went to undergrad thinking I was an English major at first. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. My mother would tell you that I was always a debater, (laughs) a great debater, but I took a consumer behavior class. I don't know what really made me take it, but I took it in the second half of my freshman year. And I was like, what is this? This is so cool. (laughs) This is so interesting. The psychology behind why consumers make the purchase decisions that they do, this area of marketing where it's meeting uh, clients' unmet desires with your products and services. I had never heard things explained in that way before. And it was so interesting to me. So I, over the summer, changed my major to a business major, entered the business school in my undergrad and majored in marketing. Wonderful. It seems like it's something that has allowed you to make the transition into beauty because those skills are necessary in lots of areas of business. Oh, absolutely. How did you transition into beauty? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. I feel like I've always had a side hustle when it came to beauty. So even when I wasn't explicitly working in the beauty industry for my full-time job, so take that food service job, I was constantly branding myself as this beauty person. I had my cosmetology license, the school that I was going to. Then I parlayed that into a business that I had on the side. So I was constantly giving beauty advice to my coworkers. People knew me as a beauty person, even though that might not have been in my job title. And that's something that I did throughout my entire career. And so when opportunities presented themselves, whether it was When I was in business school, the opportunity to lead a beauty assignment for our luxury and retail consulting core, or when it came to going to Johnson & Johnson full-time and transitioning to Avino, when it came to getting this role that I'm currently in at Sephora, and even with my own entrepreneurial endeavors, I feel like those opportunities came to me and they were not hard to get because I was constantly branding myself as a beauty person. Yeah, that makes sense. But you branded yourself as a beauty person and also had some chops behind it. I think that second part is really important, that you had a side hustle, that you were doing stuff in beauty, that your interest in beauty was there. You didn't give yourself this title without nothing to back it up. Yes, for sure. That was definitely there. (laughs) You were working at J&J on Neosporin, was it? I was on Band-Aid and Neosporin in my first role out of business school doing like forecasting, trade, analytics. How did the opportunity to go to Avino come up? It came up because somebody tapped me on my shoulder. Again, going back to that, me branding myself and verbally really affirming that I wanted to be working in beauty, the hiring manager for that role in Avino came to me and said, hey, I would like you to be on my team. That's amazing. It is. A lot of your roles have been in skincare. Yes. You talked about leading a team in business school for Kiehl's when you get your MBA, then you worked on Avino, and now you're working in the category at Sephora. Tell me what interests you most about skincare. I think skincare is so interesting, especially the kind of skincare that I've been blessed to work on, clinical skincare has so much science behind it. And there is a reason why products are formulated the way that they do. There are key ingredients that perform and deliver on certain benefits and address certain concerns. So I think the science geek in me and nerd in me really enjoys the product solution orientation of skincare, specifically clinical skincare. Okay. How did the roles differ, let's say, So you're working directly on a brand at Aveeno, but then you have a portfolio of brands at Sephora. Tell me how your roles differ. That's a really great question. So the roles, I think it is a matter of depth and breadth. When I was working on a, in a PL role on an actual beauty brand, you go so deep into the intricacies of that brand. You're the subject matter expert on the brand. You have to make key decisions on the brand. It's not just brand management. And I think this is sometimes a misconception. Brand management is not just about making the commercials and the advertising. You are making key decisions about what is the product innovation pipeline look like for that brand? What are the things that are within the brand's equity? And more importantly, what is not in the brand's equity for the brand to do and say and be? So it's really, really a matter when you're on that side of the business of depth and going really, really deep and understanding the brand and bringing that understanding to life through client analytics, really getting grounded in the consumer, and then staying true to what the brand stands for. And that kind of role, what skills are most important? 
Data analytics are super, super important in that kind of role. I think it's also really important that you're able to work cross-functionally. You'll be the brand expert, but you won't always be the expert when it comes to formulation. So that's when you need to lean on your R&D partners. Or you might not be the expert when it comes to ensuring that you have enough product on the shelf and you lean on your supply chain partners. But you have to be the hub of the wheel and really that quarterback that is going to tell the team what to do. If we know that we're going to have a marketing campaign that's going to drive sales, I need to make sure that there's going to be supply to back that up. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about how Avina's role is different from Sephora and what you're doing now. Working on one brand versus working on 20 plus brands, as you can imagine, my time is divided between different brands. It's not so much the depth on each brand. There are people on that side of the business that have that covered. So my role is really making sure that The brands can come to life in the best way, the most authentic way within the Sephora ecosystem. So I'm making recommendations on anything from their paid media strategies in partnership with Sephora, social sampling, and then really understanding the Sephora client. In between working at J&J and your current role at Sephora, you had a consulting business. I did. Tell me about what it was like to work for yourself. It was wonderful working for myself. It was wonderful, but it was also really scary (laughs) Um, taking that kind of risk, really betting on myself and having that business, I think, was the best decision that I could have made at that time in my career. I learned a lot because in the context of my career, I had worked at this huge multinational corporation, Johnson & Johnson, that had plenty of money to spend on marketing. And then I went to working with clients that did not have those same budgets by any stretch of the imagination. And they really had to be more scrappy, more agile in the way that they operated. And I learned a ton from them and helping them to execute on their marketing strategies and developing that with them. Did you have the opportunity to work on lots of different categories? The easiest thing for me to do was to transition into working with beauty brands. That's what I started out with. It's interesting, especially because of my background at Johnson & Johnson, I attracted some health and wellness clients. So one of my clients was actually a therapy practice. And that was really, really interesting and a different stretch for me. And if I think that having a salon is a service-oriented business, therapy is even more of a service-oriented business. So that was super, super interesting. You mentioned earlier that as an intern, you showed the skill set necessary for the next role. Talk to me about, like at a place like J&J, stretch assignments. How do you demonstrate your ability for a role besides, I know you talked about expressing your love for beauty, but when it comes to stretch assignments, showing your prowess in other areas of the business? For sure. I think it's really interesting and helpful that a company like Johnson & Johnson has certain tracks. So because I was coming from a background where I didn't have something laid out for me, it was helpful to go into a program that you kind of knew the different experiences that you needed to get in order to get promoted to the next level. And I appreciate any kind of structure like that because it makes it clear to someone who doesn't have that background what is expected of them. For example, your first role was typically forecasting trade and analytics, but I knew that my next role would likely be communications and media. And so what I did was actually ask for a stretch assignment in communications and media while I worked on forecasting trade and analytics. So I worked on a program 
with a retail partner, Target, and worked on national media for the first time. And I was able to show my aptitude for that while I was not necessarily in that role, but that helped prepare me for the next step. And then when I was in that communications and media assignment, I showed an aptitude and I was able to take on more responsibility to actually manage the P&L and the BME, the brand marketing expense for the brand, so that I could show that at that manager level, I would be able to do that. Did you see other people doing the work? How did you go about learning the stuff inside this kind of corporation? That's a great question. For me, I am big on intellectual curiosity. I like to figure things out. I ask a lot of questions. Sometimes people get annoyed at how many questions I ask, (laughs) but it's about asking a lot of questions. It's about making friends and getting close with colleagues that are in the kinds of roles that I'm interested in. I've always done that at various points of my career where I could ask them, what is it that you're working on? Could you tell me more about what that looks like? If I was to take a stretch assignment, would you help me and mentor me so that I could figure this out as I'm going along? And in most cases, people are very, very open because I show that aptitude, that interest, and I show up. So I'm very proactive and I give people a lot to work with. So that's what I think has been helpful for me in retaining mentors and sponsors throughout my career. What has the biggest hurdle been in your roles and what has the biggest joy? I think style has been the biggest hurdle for me, just to be transparent. I want to be honest with your listeners. In corporate America, there may be a specific thing that people are looking for. And me, I show up as my very tall, curvaceous, big hair, usually bright lipstick wearing self. And I'm very opinionated. And I ask a lot of questions for understanding. And some people can be off put by that. And some people can maybe not like that as much. And so it's been a balance of being who I am, but also understanding bringing people into maybe why I'm asking the question or being a little bit more jovial and joking so that when I do get serious and down to business, people understand that it's coming from a friendly and great place. So I've always had to deal with that balance throughout my career. That has been something that I've had to master for sure. Okay, this is not something that you're saying since you're in corporate America, but something I'm saying (laughs) that often black women and other women of color, so BIPOC community, have to put people at ease because their interpretation of our confidence can sometimes be they're afraid of our confidence. Things have changed a little bit, but they haven't changed enough. And I hate that you have to dim your light a little bit and kind of like coach them through understanding your power, so to speak. It's a corporate atmosphere and it's a lot of it of understanding what the culture is like in these institutions, in these companies, then reading the room and saying, okay, this is what I have to do in order to not only survive, but thrive. But the balance of doing that and still maintaining who you are without giving too much of yourself away daily is a lot. It is a lot. This is why I've always had side hustles and found other ways to express myself. So for me, it's important that I don't dim my light. But I realize that the way that I show up doesn't always have to be giving every single part of my life everything that I have to give. And so sometimes it's a job. (laughs) 
and you show up for your job and you do your work and that is great and you excel at your work and that's awesome, but it doesn't have to be your everything. It can be if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be your everything and you can get the other parts of yourself that you want to express. I get that out in other ways, you know, so that's just the way that I've approached it. You moved across the country to work for Sephora. What are the challenges of taking on a new role and adjusting to a new city at the same time? Oh, wow. This is why I'm in therapy. (laughs) It's only been a few months, Corinne, so it's still very much a work in progress. I don't have a full answer for you, but the best way I can answer that is I literally have been taking it one day at a time. I give myself a ton of grace. I ask others to give me grace as well. You know, my friends that I'm not going to be responding to their texts as soon as I see it and all that kind of thing. Even my former clients, but now my work with Sephora, my coworkers and managers and direct reports, I ask them for grace because there are still some times, some days that are really difficult for me. I'm very far away from my family. Sometimes I need to take days that are video off, camera off for Zoom meetings. Sometimes I need to take a personal day. And I do not shy away from doing that self-care and making sure that I'm taking care of myself first, because that's very, very important to me. How'd you find housing and like the practical things, somebody to do your hair? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you about some of the practical things. So the doing the hair, I'm a licensed cosmetologist, so I got that covered. (laughs) I didn't have to worry about that part. Finding housing, apparently California is very different than New York. There are not brokers that help you find an apartment. They only handle home sales. So I actually had to come and do a trip out to California. I did that a few months before I moved here to just come and explore places and figure out where it was that I wanted to live. So I actually stayed in a few different Airbnbs to explore different areas and decided to live in Oakland and found an apartment building while I was here and then later signed the lease remotely. So it was definitely something that I felt like I needed to have my boots on the ground to do, something that I would not have ideally done remotely 100%. And then some of the other practical things, I had some people in my network that either formerly lived in Oakland or some that live in Oakland in the Bay Area. And I ask people for help. Like unabashedly, I ask people for help. I asked, where can I go get my nails done? I asked, where are the best places for me to go eat? And I literally just made a list of things that I knew I wanted to try while I was here. You tackled it like a project, one of your assignments almost. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) A little bit at a time too. Right. We talked a lot before this interview about the things that you had to do besides brand yourself to prepare yourself to get into corporate beauty. Can you talk a little bit more about preparation and making a way for yourself when you don't see the road ahead? You're kind of kind of paving the path for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that where there is not opportunity, I see that as a challenge to create an opportunity for myself where I'm not invited to a table I find that an opportunity to build a table and also to invite other people to it. So I've always had that kind of very 
infectious positivity. My friends, my family, my coworkers would all tell you that. And I'm just overall a very, very positive person. So I attract that kind of positivity to me as well. And I think that it was always creating those opportunities if they didn't exist. So when I could not find a corporate beauty role, when I was applying to some companies before I went to business school and they were not checking for me at that time, it was, okay, I'm going to have a side hustle and that's how I'll get my creativity in this part of me that I want to express out into the world. And that was super, super fulfilling. And those are the experiences that I wrote about in my business school essays to really show that I had that aptitude and transition into my role at J&J. When I actually was laid off from my role at J&J and had to face the decision of, okay, they eliminated this role. I could potentially go and apply to other roles at this company, but is that what I want? Is that the best next step for me for my career? I made a decision, no, I'm going to go build a table for myself. I'm going to go start my own brand and marketing consultancy. And my former coworkers were so amazing in connecting me with the people who were eventually my first clients. So really just being that person that is super positive, that chooses herself, that chooses to do the work on myself and to pour into myself and to bet on myself when it's important. It's really, really important. What do you think the unsung skill is to make it in beauty marketing? I will say that for me, this has been resilience. I think that being resilient in life is super important, but specifically within the beauty industry, you may have people that I told you about the mentors that I had that were great, but I didn't mention people who told me I wouldn't be able to do some of the things that were my dreams or didn't pour into me. That's a challenge to you that you decided to accept the challenge and then overcome it. Give me an example of one of those. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but just trying to speak to people who I thought potentially could be mentors and thinking that these people could be sponsors, pour into me, and being a little bit let down by their lack of interest in me or in developing the people that either reported to them or just people that looked like me. That was a little bit of a blow, but it took resilience to say, I'm not going to let what that one person's opinion, maybe their frame of reference for what I can do is just so small. They don't understand all of the things that I bring to the table and they don't understand the kind of person that I am. And so I don't need to have them in my life, but I will move on from that and be resilient and just shine my light really, really brightly and be who I know I can be. You also mentioned the importance of faith in what sustains you. You've been laid off. You've had some disappointment, but you're so overwhelmingly positive. Anyway, is that because of your faith foundation? I would absolutely say that, Corinne. It is really, really important to me, my personal relationship with God. And even more so in the last two years, the craziness of COVID, I went through a divorce. I got laid off from J&J and started that consultancy. It was really important that I put God first in my life. Because the times that I found that I have him first, those are the times when I'm living into my purpose, when I feel most at peace, when I am able to demonstrate what we call like the fruits of the Holy Spirit and really be kind and good and gentle towards other people. That's when I show up as my best self and I'm the daughter, I'm the sister, I'm the cousin friend that I want to be and the person that I want to show up in the world as. It's really important to me. So thank you for that question. 
Yeah, I know. I saw that in the notes and I didn't want to gloss over it because if it's a core value for you that drives how you show up at work and in your life. So if we're talking about blazing a path in a new industry, your faith was a big component in your ability to do that or your ability to believe that this was possible. Absolutely. Finally, in this last section of the podcast, I want to leave our listeners with some concrete steps on where to begin. So let's go into our starting five that take away tips from our guests. For those who want to break into the corporate beauty space, can you share five tips that will help them think about not even just think about, think or take action to join this area of business. Absolutely. I think the first thing is inserting yourself into beauty, even if you're not in beauty. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but how can you start to be a thought and opinion leader about beauty, even if you don't have the full-time role to back it up? And this can come to life through one's own talents and personal purpose and gifts. For me, it was with actually doing hair and cosmetology. It could be having a blog or podcast. It could be writing articles on LinkedIn. It could be any number of things that really demonstrate your aptitude and your interest in beauty that are going to show other people that regardless of whether it's your full-time role or not, that's who you are and that's what you're going to be doing. And then those opportunities will definitely come to you. I think another thing is having core values. So this probably is broader than just beauty, this particular tip, but I think it's super, super important specifically in the beauty industry. So for example, my core values are really around faith, pattern recognition, having kindness and integrity, being a collaborative person, really investing and developing the people that I lead, and then having patience. I think that it is important for one to really identify what are your actual core values? How do you want to show up in the world? Who are you trying to be? Because that helps you decide what opportunities you're going to say yes to and then what opportunities that you're going to say no to. There were opportunities with consulting clients and other people that came up that I actually said, this is not a good fit. It was probably good money, but it wasn't a good fit for me. So having that guiding core values are really important. A third tip that I would give is really being patient with yourself, with others, and trusting the process. So one of the things that I found is you might not have your dream role coming out of undergrad or coming out of business school, but understanding that there is a path and there is a process to things. And there are very few people that I've spoken to, and I know this hasn't been true for my career, that have had like this ladder of progression, right? A lot of time it is like cross lateral moves. It's opportunities that come up to go into a different function. There are all different things that help build your experiences and your skill set for you to get to what that dream role is in your career. And so I would just encourage people to really be patient with themselves, trust the process, trust that the experiences that you're getting now are preparing you for the bigger opportunities that are going to come in your future. So that would be number three. 
for number four, I would really ask you to, for the times in your career that you might feel forgotten about, when you feel like people are not checking for you, just continue to grind, continue to work on yourself, continue to put in the work, because that is going to pay dividends in the future for those roles as they become available. I remember a mentor had said to me, cultivate the soil and learn what you need to learn so that you can be fruitful when the harvest comes. And that really, really stuck with me. Okay, say that again. Absolutely. Cultivate the soil and learn what you need to learn so that you can be fruitful when the harvest comes. That is so important. I don't care what level or what point in your career you're at. There is planting and then there's the harvest. This is a really good point. And then number five, I would say just continue to believe in yourself. It's been very, very instrumental to my career, the belief that I have in God, the belief that I have in myself, the things that I've been able to accomplish and the things that sounded crazy when I put them on my vision board and I wrote them in my journal. They've either come to pass or they're coming to fruition now. And it's so amazing seeing that kind of faith and belief actually play itself out. Fantastic. Corinne, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the podcast. It's so great to see another girl from Queens doing her thing in the beauty industry. And bravo for going across the country and making a mark at Sephora. I think that's amazing. Thank you so much, Corinne, for having me. I really, really appreciate it. That's our show for today. If you have questions about where to start in your beauty career, drop us a line at hello at beautybizcamp.com. Remember, there are many roads to success, but each of them requires you to start. So take that step forward today. See you next time.